I am a little bit of a pessimist, and you are. You know, but we know that. But that's my job. You're supposed to bring the positivity here. Munster, not one of the best teams in the world at the moment. The Red Seventy Eight with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The news round on off the ball with Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Welcome along to Tuesday evening's Off the Ball. Plenty for us to talk about. We're going to be looking back at what was a packed weekend in sport. Limerick becoming the first side from the Treaty County to run off four Munster titles in a row since the 1930s. They have now gone four successive and 14 championship games unbeaten as they try and cement their legacy over the next month or so. Kilkenny, they've won their 18th Leinster title of the Cody era. Tommy Walsh is going to be joining us, the nine-time All-Ireland winner, to look back at both those provincial finals, which were a bit differing in terms of the entertainment on show in both games. We'll be looking ahead to the Republic of Ireland against Ukraine in the Nations League. Ireland's wait for a win in that competition stretches to 11 games after the loss against Armenia at the weekend. And we'll be talking about the new Live Golf Tour and Graham McDowell's comments on the news round and later in the show with Rob Harris, who was at the press conference just outside London earlier today. Delighted to say we've got Richie McCormick with us. Richie, how are you getting on? How are you, Will? Angry producer Mick is here with us as well to have a look at the day's sporting news. Hey, Will, how are you? Yeah, look, a lot of fallout. You're the only one who calls me that anymore. Really? Yeah, I've got to keep, keep it, keep it up, alive. Yeah. We, we also have got an old segment which is coming back uh, later on, oh, not to yeah. give too much away, but um, Mick had to resuscitate it. Um, it was a great weekend of sport, um, firstly. Um, I think probably the Munster final being the highlight of it. I think by a ways, really, mm. was it? Like, you know, I, I was there and I was soaked to the skin and... Never felt so alive, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, no, it was great. But I don't know, like the the rest of the weekend, I suppose, was tinged with sort of disappointment in some ways, you know, because you had, uh, well, first of all, the Ireland match, which was, you know, felt like going back in time a little bit. And there was a lot of kind of somewhere between a malaise and anger, you know, if those two things are, are on different ends of the scale, yet I did feel it was something in between. And then you had uh, the Leinster Hurling final wasn't the most amazing um, game of all time and then if you're a Munster fan like the weekend just started off in the most horrible way possible like if you're an Ulster fan great but you know that was a shocking performance um, I really thought that they were going to have Keith Wood with us in about half an hour's time but I thought Mick that Munster would at least be able to rally the troops for a run at the knockout stage of the URC like going away from home against this Ulster team was always going to be a difficult knockout game anyway but their knockout record between Europe and the URC was very poor in the Van Grand era four wins out of 14 Well that's a good stat yeah um, I think a lot of Munster fans at this stage are happy to see the end of the Van Grand era whether that was the issue or not a new start was definitely needed and uh, yeah, like I, as you said, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had them as favourites to go to Ravenhill and win in a knockout game. But what happened is very different from not winning. <laughs> Getting hammered was uh, was a far more accurate way of putting it. Yeah, look, I think for Munster fans, well, what's really disappointing is they've played two of their provincial rivals in recent weeks. They played Leinster's effective third team which would, would have given them, if they had won that game, the possibility of getting a home quarter-final with the way the other results were looking. They were well beaten by a much understrength Leinster team and then they go and get played off the park by Ulster. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of it comes down to the fact too that it's felt like a long goodbye with Van Gran and the coaching team because yeah. it was announced so early that he was going to Bath that it's been inevitable for these players and knowing that Demi Deolande was going to leave that they've kind of just sleepwalked into the summer. Yeah, once the penalty shootout ended, 
I guess it uh, it you know against Toulouse it kind of felt like the season was somewhat over, but just there was a lot to play for. You know, Glasgow were never going to go and win the URC, by the way. But if they had, Munster wouldn't be in the Highland Cup next year. You know, so there was, there was still. Are you to trying to for. say that Munster fans now need to be thankful to Leinster for booking their spot in Europe next year? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Leinster or the other two teams that would have beaten Glasgow <laughs> did somehow got through. <laughs> well, we two very one-sided French uh, Open finals, but it probably just made it easier maybe to focus on some. Would be yeah. Well, Rafa Nadal, I suppose, does include does at least uh, come into this. The conversation if you're talking about an amazing weekend of sports just the, the achievement just, alone like, like, two players are so dominant now like she's won six tournaments uh, this year I think that's uh, 16 uh, matches that she's won in a row now at this stage and she's won six ranking events like that is just absolutely remarkable the dominance that she's had and then look, Rafa's got 22 if the guy didn't walk outside of Roland Garris for his entire career he'd still be right up there towards the role of honour for Grand Slams such is his yeah. success there 14 14 like how many players in history would you say now this is on average have played in 14 French Opens go on Richie you know, help us out here I'd, 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 to be fair there'd be, there'd be enough there'd, there'd be, be a enough. few It's but it would yeah. be a phenomenal achievement <clears throat> you would be at the top of the game for an awful long time to even be qualified oh, totally. for the same yeah. Grand Slam for 14 years never mind winning every but you'll, you'll still see you'll still see your Richard Gasquets and your Sam Marikas <laughs> and, and so on and so forth kind of peppered throughout the, the draws and, and yeah, the, yeah. the early rounds but like Four, like 14 of the one Grand Slam like to think 15, 16 years ago it would be almost inconceivable almost that somebody would win you know 15 Grand Slams in their career that we could be on the verge of seeing you know one person dominate a tournament and yet we've seen Nadal just he's made it his own for pretty much 15 years it's not as if it's 14 over 21 it's like 14 out of 15 something silly like that mm. it's like a ridiculous level a ridiculous hit rate and similarly with Djokovic I suppose you could say down in Australia like it's just absolutely um, remarkable it's like the, the, this era is, is, is something like and it bears repeating over and over again because it will end in the next year or two once yeah. Federer yeah. finally retires and once Nadal like his body is starting to slowly kind of chip away at him and Djokovic obviously too like once that's gone it's like it's not coming back like we're not we're not going to see anything like this ever again and it's just something to, to absolutely revel in we get another uh, Grand Slam just around the corner obviously enough which is slightly different obviously because yeah but it doesn't I'd count anymore Richie because it doesn't have any uh, ranking no, points so yeah no Russians no Belarusians so it's not a real tournament no rankings no prestige to SW19 whatsoever I wonder as well Rich no. does, does it take uh-huh. away from Nadal in any way the fact that he has been so dominant in one tournament the, the debates are going to go on and on I think it's very unlikely the Federer is going to add right. to his total now uh, but he's probably got a you know a wider variety but the French Open's missing does it matter at all in the debate that Nadal has no. landed no, more no, than no. French. Go on, Mick. no he has one French yeah like, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, like, no, I don't think so. Especially not Nadal, no. Like, I think any thoughts that he was a kind of a, a clay court specialist and that's where he was only going to profit died in 2008 when he beat Nadal and that remarkable, or would it be Federer in that remarkable final Wonderful, Wimbledon? Yeah. Like, the fact that he was able to win Wimbledon, which is, like, hardcore is one thing. Grass is just a freak because you get to play in it for, what, three weeks a year? And to go and win a Grand Slam on it, win in five sets, and beat the best player to ever play on grass, I don't think you can you can question whether or not he's he's decent on any other surface. Yeah, and even the, the best Slam final ever too. Yeah, oh yeah, the one that went to the in, in the dark. I best, remember, best yeah. of any. That's still the best of anything ever I've ever yeah. seen. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, but Such the year before he made the final, remember, and it was like that was when we thought like, oh, he's you know he's the clay core Federer. That was all it was, and he was like yeah. he just willed himself to the final that year and didn't really even know how to play in grass. Got beaten in straight sets, and it was like determined to come back to. Following year, mm. with the you know and, and with the the goods, that's why I think 
you know, and I think in fairness, it, it applies to the three of them that, you know, they weren't content to just sort of say, I'm a specialist at one or the other, you know, and obviously have had these incredible careers that, as Richie says, is a bit of a one-off, I would say, as an era. Um, imagine if imagine if one or two of them didn't come around at the same time. They would would, would Nadal or Federer or something like that have 40 Grand Slams? Yeah, <laughs> you know? there's every yeah. chance. Yeah, yeah. There's every chance. Yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see who comes through from the uh, the next bunch as well. Like Zverev seems to be very much on the cusp, but then you see how well Nadal played against Zverev and his record against the big three has been a bit of an issue. So maybe he just has to wait for them to retire before he can uh, properly take over. Republic of Ireland, Richie, we kind of touched on it there at the outset. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was a hard enough watch on Saturday, admittedly. Like these are players who are absolutely wrecked. It's a weird situation where there's four <laughs> games in quick succession after a lot of these players are playing for promotion in League One and in the Championship. They've had a long season behind them and then a whole load of international games come in a fairly short burst I think first half they played pretty okay I mean and then the heat really started to catch up in the second half and Ireland created very little in the second half in the Irvine. Yeah this time last week I was sat in 33 34 degree heat and sitting was a chore I can't imagine what it was like to run around for 90 minutes with a polyester t-shirt on your back um it's not pretty uh, but it shouldn't be like it, it's not a major factor Armenia weren't good and I think the fact that we had so much of the ball in the first half dominated so much possession in the first half I think kind of proves that um, they really should have taken their chances and they did not move the ball near quick enough especially in the first half actually you know the second half is Stephen Kenny's major bugbear but the first half like they didn't move the, like it was it was so pedestrian and there is a way of, of playing football whereby you use the ball make that work quickly and you don't have to necessarily run the legs off yourself and they didn't do that they were too happy to really lumber the ball out towards the wide right get the ball into the box and see it then cleared and watch Armenia break at pace get the ball back in on half and build again and it was repeat 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 and it was bound to sap the energy out of them the way they were actually playing because they were just taking too much out of the ball and too much out of themselves I also question as to how tired the Irish players were. You look at that starting team, you think Seamus Coleman, tough season. John Egan would have played a lot of games and went to the playoffs. And, you know, Troy Parrott played a lot of games. I think other than that, can't really think of anybody in the starting team. I might, I might be missing someone. Mm. Benny probably played a good bit. Benny would have played a lot and went yeah. to the playoffs as well. But the other, I think the bigger issue is actually the... The international break is basically happening for an awful lot of players. If you're not in the Champions League final or you're not <laughs> in the Premier League especially, it's taking place halfway through your summer holidays. Mm. They'll have as much of a break before the internationals as they will after before they get back into pre-season. It's a long time since they've played. Um, I looked. I don't think any of that's an excuse. I think Richie touched on uh, how poor the performance is and we're probably going to talk about it a lot over the course of the show tonight. But I think it is an interesting one. It's like, how are they supposed to get to the pitch of this? Like they've had, like how, when was the last time Jeff Hendrick played a game? Four or five weeks ago, it's a big at least, problem. you know. Yeah. He was in there with, with QPR, and it was the same with like Shane Duffy. Shane Duffy in and out for Brighton, probably didn't feature last and, few games. And that's like, even not getting it, a game. But like, I mean, if your yeah. season ended without in, not in the playoffs in the Championship your or League One, it's yeah. four weeks. Yeah, you've had think, to take at least. Yeah. And it's not just Ireland players. Like I'm watching England on Saturday as well. Like they were in the exact same boat. They're like half of their heads, you know, as, as poor as they were as well. They were on holidays too and will need to wake themselves up again playing Germany this evening but like there, there is that issue and I hate you in international breaks I've hated them since that draw with Liechtenstein <laughs> uh, back in 95 whenever it was like they're just awful things like the, the worst things in the world they just spell bad football wherever you want to be we should be looking at the first week of a World Cup this week and we've been robbed by 
you know, you know, mis- uh, misgivings and so on and so forth in the in the halls of FIFA. Hold on a second, Richie. Are you trying to say you didn't enjoy games like Republic of Ireland versus Oman in June and those games you used to play in Craven Cottage? Craven Cottage. <laughs> Bring us back to Craven Cottage, <laughs> our second home, our, uh, our spiritual home, our ancestral home of Craven Cottage uh, with its new stand and everything by the river. Um, no, 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 they're just, no, they're just pointless. I want a World Cup. I want the first week of a World Cup this week yeah. and I've been robbed. It really hit home, Mick, actually, yesterday when I saw people putting up, ah, this should have been the first round of group games of yeah. the World Cup and you're still going, Hmm. And now we've got another, we've got a month or at least three weeks of World Cup memories and anniversaries that are going to come up and we're all, hold on, this is the World Cup year, this is the World Cup year, why are we not currently experiencing this? But look, at least we get to enjoy our GA championship before it's all over in like three or four weeks. This is true, so basically what you're saying is <laughs> the, the split season was actually perfect, it's fit perfect into this, this year, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go, it's fit into this wonderful gap where it would have been in a terrible position if the World Cup had been taking place. So thank you Qatar uh, for saving the GA games this weekend. Like the GA games this weekend, <laughs> Mick, that double header in Crow Park, we were talking about this outside a few minutes ago, it makes absolutely no sense. Two Western teams being brought across to Crow Park for an afternoon game in Dublin at a time when fuel is Diesel's about two a litre in most places currently. You can't get yeah. a hotel room in Dublin for love nor money. Come to Crow Park for a, a more than half empty experience this Saturday in the football qualifiers. Yeah, so Crow Park should be special. It should be finals, semi-finals, provincial finals. Not a bloody round two qualifier. Yeah. Look, I th- uh, the devil's advocate might be, you know, if you're Claire Roscommon, how many opportunities do you have to play in Crow Park? There's also like the the posit- like nobody wants any games in Crow Park at the moment. There's the danger of becoming a white elephant if the GEA listen to us in every time we only want a, a, a game. Um, they're like being an All Ireland final or whatever, maybe a semi final at this stage. But this makes no sense. So I was waiting around for the fixtures to come out because I was thinking they're going to put the Ulster game and the Mayo Kildare game as a double header there and it's going to be really unfair but look it makes sense. And then I've, I was saying to you outside I immediately I first saw the Ulster fixture set for Clonus, Donegal and Armagh and I was like oh, oh they've made a progressive decision here. Great. And then I was like hold on Clare and Roscommon <laughs> Clare and Roscommon Clare for all the love in the world and I love this team and I love Comcoms they don't have a big support mm. for a start you know there was like a, there was less than 3,000 at the Clare Limerick game in Ennis um, I don't know what the attendance was this weekend uh, against Mead but it wasn't too great that's for home games they're not going to bring a huge amount of people to Crow Park it's been look TV it's going to be on TV it's a double header I'd imagine that the TV company in any TV company be it RT or Sky it's Sky in this case would prefer to have a double header for the sake of one OB, OB unit crew, you know not have to, you know, it's a cost-saving exercise. It's no, it's ridiculous for the fans of Roscommon and Clare who do want to go to this game. Look, Mayo, Mayo and Kildare are in the same boat. Obviously, it's a game at least slightly more worthy of it. Um, oh, it's, it's absolutely shocking. The thing is, the atmosphere is going to be horrific at the first game because I think Mayo fans will travel because they always do. We'll probably have a thing of it'll be like thirty-eight thousand or something like that, and they'll be like, "That's a good, that's a decent figure." So this game had that, and this is you know compared 30, to this, that'll be the second game. Exactly. How many of them are going to be there for the first game? Yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. This. I've actually had a, I said this to Joe a couple of weeks ago. Double headers, as a general rule, annoy the crap out of me. I can, I think they're apps for a fan point of view. They're absolutely pointless. So few people are going to those games as neutrals. Even the ones that do, do they want to spend, you know, five hours in the ground with a big forty-five minute gap in between the games? I just double headers are absolutely. They're pure TV and 
the you know the easy option. I don't think they work at all, but especially not a pointless Crow Park doubleheader for like two last 12 qualifiers. Yeah, looking at some of the text coming in here on 53106, Simon's in contact. I'm a Rossi who's currently living 10 minutes away from Croker, so it's enough to make the trip across to Shannon. Uh, but the thoughts of going to a three-quarter way empty Crow Park on Saturday is not appealing. Games should have been played until the more. And then... Like, like they, do, they do themselves no favours in terms of optics and in terms of like, this is all part of, like, the, the fact that... We often hear the the argument as regards the League of Ireland that the facilities and the games don't look good on telly because the stadiums aren't up to snuff or they're half full or this or that. Like seeing a one third full Crow Park does nothing for somebody who's flicking the channels and might stumble upon GEA, like a kid who might stumble upon GEA for the first time. They're not they're not going to be an interested consumer going forward. They're just going to go, what's that? Looks rubbish. Move on. Um, and like this is all part of a wider malaise regarding the GEA and how it covers itself and how it puts itself out there into the world because it's just like they do things because they're handy, not because they'll actually benefit anybody. And that's something that they really need to get rid of because the crowds will only dwindle further when they're faced with the prospect of crossing the country for a qualifier for no reason at all. Yeah, the viewing experience matters. I mean, the Ulster football final at Clonus uh, the week before last, when that was packed and there was a bit of colour, mightn't have been a game to everybody's taste, but it was absorbing and the crowd were getting into it. Similarly, Clare and Limerick at the weekend, Munster hurling final, famously sold out in 11 minutes and it was absolutely packed to the rafters. And that adds to the experience. Even if you're at home watching on the TV, yep. it adds to it. It just adds that bit of extra drama as well. Right, time for us to get into the new round itself. It is brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless start to your day. We are looking forward... Um, Richie to the Republic of Ireland against Ukraine we know the Ireland captain Seamus Coleman's not going to be available yeah, he's out of tomorrow night's Nations League game with Ukraine. The Everton fullback sustaining a groin injury, but manager Stephen Kenny says it's too soon to know if Coleman will miss Ireland's other two games this month. Saturday's loss away to Armenia ended an eight-game unbeaten run, but Kenny's ruled out knee-jerk reactions in his team selection tomorrow. Yeah, like I don't think I can say look look at the game against Armenia and say what we did wrong, and then if we rectify that, we get that right against. Ukraine exactly because it's different different set, set of circumstances, but you know we we definitely um, listen. We had enough chances to win the game itself. Like we can, the fourth goal is obviously critical. We've seen that in Azerbaijan getting an early goal and winning three 0 Luxembourg getting a goal winning three 0 So uh, we had chances to score several chances in the first half. Obviously, they weren't as clear cut in the second half we wanted, but we still had chances. Um, but we didn't, weren't creative enough in the in that last half hour for sure. And um, you know, they they defended well against us, and we we only have ourselves to blame in that regard. But it's a game that we should have won and shouldn't have lost. And um, so Ukraine is a different challenge. Four-three-three, um, very attacking. Four-three-three. They, they have the flexibility. They played three-four-two-one as well. Um, even if they make changes, um, they've made changes right throughout the campaign. They've rotated their midfield. Um, Sheparenko and Sadorchek have been played regularly for them, and they're really good players. The five subs they brought on in the games to the day, they're, you know, they're very, very strong. So they 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 have a lot of depth to Ukraine, and they, they, I think they showed in both games, particularly against Scotland. That's what we've seen in the other games that they they have a lot of quality. Yeah, Republic of Ireland boss Stephen Kenny there speaking to the media today Ukraine coming off the back of uh, contrasting results beat Scotland last week in the semi-finals of the playoffs but then losing out to Wales by a goal to nil at the weekend Richie we've got some squad news coming out from today as well 
Yeah, James Talbot's call up to the Ireland squad to replace the injured Gavin Bazunu means Friday scheduled SSE or Tristy Premier Division meeting of Finn Harris and Bohemians is off. The game between St. Pat's and Shamrock Rovers, meanwhile, which was originally scheduled for Friday, will be played instead on Monday, June 27th. Yeah, Rob Harris was at the press conference earlier about live golf, but some of the uh, former major winners and players mm. who probably won't be going back onto the PGA Tour have been speaking about joining the Saudi back league to their it. Yeah, Dustin Johnson says he chose what's best for his family in resigning from the PGA Tour to join the Saudi-backed LIV Golf Tour. The former world number one will be ineligible now for future Ryder Cups as a result. Johnson was asked if his impending omission from the uh, transatlantic competition weighed on his mind before taking the Saudi money. It was, um, but hopefully, obviously, you know, all um, all things are you know subject to change and you know like I mean I would just have to agree with what Graham said. Hopefully you know at some point it'll it'll change and we'll be able to participate. But if it doesn't, I mean it was it was another thing that I've you know really had to think long and hard about and ultimately I decided to you know to come do this and you know play out here and you know like I said I'm excited about it and. You know, obviously the Ryder Cup is unbelievable and it's, you know, something that's definitely meant a lot to me and, you know, proud to, to say that I've played and represented my country and, you know, hopefully I'll, you know, get a chance to do that again. But, you know, I, I don't make the rules, so. Inevitably, people will say, you know, on social media and even in here that you've chosen many of your country. What would be your reply to that? Um, I chose what's best for me and my family. Short answer, I chose the money. Now, you've been breaking down the money that uh, Dustin Johnson has made, Mick, during his career. They got a lot to break down. According to PGAtour.com, Dustin Johnson has earned $74 million over the course of his career. Third all-time behind Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Ah. Uh, yeah, who's also in this. Uh, $74 million. Like, I know he won uh, the FedEx Cup one year. Which is still 15 a, of it's the a huge yeah. amount of money. You know, Rory's even below him there with like late high 60s. Um, so what's best for him and his family is to add to that 74 million. That's before you get to any of his endorsements, of which he has many. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether, whether it's the old socialist in me who thinks that at some point maybe you have enough money yeah. to get by and your family's going to be okay. Does that not make him a huge get for the tour though? Because we all kind of expected that Phil was going to eventually... Johnson's a up. huge get for this. Yeah. Like it, it's whatever way you want to look at it if it becomes this PR battle Johnson's a huge name. He hasn't been playing that well over the last maybe 18 months or you know I don't know maybe since he won the kind of COVID Masters mm. but uh, you know up until that he was the best player in the world for a good solid two years at least I look G-Max a money taking guy as well Richie what's he had to say yeah Sergio Garcia Kevin Nash Charles Schwartzel and Louis Oosthuizen have also resigned from the PGA Tour they'll all be in the field at the Centurion Club in London this week for the first event on the controversial tour Graham Dole, another he'll be there as you mentioned and also Dustin Johnson alluding to him there he was alongside uh, Dustin Johnson today fielding questions regarding Saudi Arabia's human rights record he also inadvertently admitted to helping Saudi Arabia sports watch its international reputation this has been incredibly polarizing. Um, you know, I think we all agree up here, take the Khashoggi situation, we all agree that that was reprehensible. No one's going to argue that fact. But we're golfers, you know, and I, I, you know, we, you know, speaking personally, I really feel like, you know, golf's a force of good in the world. Um, I just try to be a great role model to kids. I know what the game of golf has taught me. And uh, I, I love using the game of golf as, as a, you know, as something to, to, to kind of uh, help grow around the, the world. That's pretty much what we've done for the last 20 years, be role models to kids. 
try and uh, use this game, like I say, as a as a force of good, really. So you know, we're not. You know, we're not politicians. I know you guys hate that expression, but you know, we're really not, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we're professional golfers. And, uh, you know, if Saudi Arabia want to use the game of golf as, as, a, as a way for them to get to where they want to be and they have the resources to accelerate that experience, you know, I think we're, we're proud to help them on that journey uh, using, using the game of golf and, and the abilities that we have. To, to help grow the sport and, and uh, take them to where they want to be. Mick, there's a tremendous amount to unpack from there. But the first thing is, never before has the phrase <laughs> nothing matters before the word but actually come into such sharp focus. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all agree it's reprehensible. Uh, oh, my God. Such mealy... Me- like, like, you know, obviously, the, the as Richie calls it, the inadvertent um, <laughs> backing of sports watching uh, is one thing. It's such mealy-mouthed crap before that, though, because how can he be talking about, oh, we want to be role models for kids and I've always been a role model and the game of golf saves the world, and then at the same time go, we're not politicians, we don't have to... He's saying that in the same sentence. <laughs> What's he talking about? I'd like you know what it's at this stage like even beyond it I just just say you're doing it for the money yes and just yeah. say you know you're doing that's it for it. the there's money there's an it's argument that that's okay yeah, it's not just my na- argument but it's, it's, it's fine like, it, it is yeah. so nakedly a cash grab by everybody concerned it's just nakedly they're giving me more money I want to go where the more money is if you just said that I'd probably go alright fair enough Grant I think the vast majority right. of the field this, is this, this thing if they were honest most of the field would actually say I'm past my best there is a truckload of money coming to play in this. Like, I think yeah, the player do could the, do the Krusty the Clown grand. thing. Yeah. Do the Krusty the Clown thing. They drove a dump truck full of money up to my house. I'm not made of stone. <laughs> and you'd go, all right, fair enough. But like, they're doing the, this thing of, this thing generally of saying that sport can be a force for good in the world. There's, there can be a slight element of truth to it, depending on the sport. Like, and I mean, a very slight element of it. That is not true whatsoever when it comes to the most elitist sport in the world, which is golf. Like, there's no way somebody is looking at Graham McDowell or Kevin Na or Louis Westhazen playing a tournament in London and going, hmm, those Saudis are all right after all. Maybe I've got them all wrong. Um, it's just it's not happening. It's just, that would never, ever happen in anybody's sane mind. And for him to be up there going, ah, well, you know, it could be a force for good around the world. It's not. It's just not. Just say you're doing it for the money. And a lot of people... You'll just save yourself a lot of embarrassment and, and, and the kicking that he's gotten online today, which is thoroughly deserved. I'm not sure Kevin now playing golf is going to lead to reform change uh, within a regime. But hey, let's see. A um, couple of other stories we can kind of uh, go through there, Rich. Uh, we know there's going to be change in Mead football. Yeah, Mead on the lookout for a new senior football manager. Andy McIntyre's six-year reign brought to a close last night, 48 hours after a qualifier defeat to the aforementioned Clare and Ennis. During his time in charge, McIntyre led Mead back to Division 1 of the Allianz Football League, albeit temporarily, and to the Super 8s in 2019. And we're talking about Crow Park, just to finish on this. Katie Taylor, looks like it's not going to be a rematch in Croker, at least. Yeah, I can't say this is a surprise, to be honest. A rematch between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano won't happen at Croke Park this year. Matchroom Chief Eddie Hearn says Serrano's team do not want a rematch this year, regardless of the offer. Serrano, though, says she will return to the ring in August, but a refusal to take the rematch with Taylor all but ends hopes of a homecoming fight at Croke Park this year. That could be the end of that as a rematch in general. Because the you know it's it's up to the to the winner to offer the rematch. If that's not accepted, 
then it's not on Katie to ever fight her again, really. So unless they want to do it for the money and for the stadium she and fight her in the UK, whatever else, it would you know, pay per view maybe, maybe like I mean, it's there for them, but it, the onus isn't on Katie now. Katie could have two, three more fights. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to beat her if Serrano can't, and you know, undefeated retire undefeated world champion you know I don't know I'm just saying like, I, I think we'd all like to see it again but that doesn't sound too promising yeah look there is an argument to be made around that as well Richie thanks a million for joining us nice and gents no that would be generous. shocking lack of hurling in that in that discussion there Will I have to say I, I, the, 20, 29 minutes and not a single mention of the handshake that's just unbelievable <laughs> well look don't worry Tommy Walsh is here later on we can put the pressure on him to pick between one of his best ever teammates and his manager for his entire intercounty career let's see who, who he picks thanks Rich Nice lads. Cheers, Mick. Uh, that is the news round. We'll be talking to Keith Wood in a few moments about rugby.